Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 79, Turnabout Intruder. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we have the best job. We get to examine, pick apart, and analyze every episode of Star Trek to figure out what makes it tick, what is the moral message or meaning hidden within, and does that episode stand the test of time? Well, we did. I mean, sadly, this is the last episode of Mission Log. There's no more Star Trek. End of the line. Turnabout intruder, and uh, and we are done. But, um, Ken. Yeah. Um, hey, okay, well, all right, I was going to save this for trivia, but um, I guess I'll let you know now. Uh, actually, this is the end of Star Trek, the original series, mm-hmm. uh, but Star Trek actually continued on. Uh, there were several movies, the animated series, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all of which ran seven seasons. And then you have Enterprise, and then you have the reimagining of Star Trek. Uh, we'll actually be at this for uh, for several more years. Okay. Well, good, <laughs> good, uh, good news. I was all geared up for the uh, last time of trivia, but this um, won't be the last time I hear this, will it? No, no, okay. it will not. <laughs> well, good. Why don't you go ahead and uh, hit me with trivia for what is apparently not the last time. Okay, so trivia for Turnabout Intruder. Uh, this was a story concept by Gene Roddenberry, although the teleplay was by Arthur Singer. Um, now, if you ask a guy like Bob Justman, and as we know, he wrote a book along with Herb Solo called Inside Star Trek, Um he felt like Arthur Singer and Fred Friedberger didn't quite get Trek. And that combination is sort of what led to this episode. Um, you also have to remember that, you know, DC Fontana, story editor, had been gone a long, long time uh, up till this point. And uh, Fred Friedberger brought in Singer as a story editor on season three to kind of uh, fill that gap. So we really are down to the very end here in terms of staff um, and in terms of production effort uh, given toward an episode. Now, this episode finished filming on January 9th, 1969. Uh, The episode was delayed from its original air date, which would have been March of 1969, and actually was pushed back to June of 1969. Um, Any guess as to why that might have been delayed, Ken? Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) It was the death of Eisenhower. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, huh. He died in March of 1969. Uh, so this episode was pushed back. Now, obviously, this was the last episode. So there really wasn't a place in NBC's schedule to put it. They weren't planning on there being another Star Trek the next week. So hence that big gap in between. And it premiered at a new time. It premiered at 7.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night, as we know, and as a lot of people have said, Star Trek got the uh, the death slot, <laughs> the, you know, 10 p.m. on a weekend and nobody was going to watch it. Well, here finally for the last episode, it goes back to a normal time slot. But unfortunately, it earned, well, roughly half the ratings of its competing shows. All right. Wait a minute. I have like three questions. Okay. All right. 730 Eastern? Yes. That's a weird yeah. time. Well, why is that? Well, because usually things start at 8 Eastern, right? At least they do now. 8 to 11 yeah, well, tends to be your primetime yeah. slots as opposed right, to, right. you know, 7 to 10, which is central. Um, the other question I have, uh, uh, forgive me, was this always going to be the last episode of Star Trek? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked that because uh, it, it was known that this was the last contracted episode of Star Trek. However, NBC actually had an option to pick up two more. So they could have exercised that option. They could have picked up two more episodes. Um, Now, 
a, a lot of other shows at that time were sort of under the assumption of, well, even if the word comes down that we are canceled, we may just be on a long hiatus. We may get picked up, maybe, maybe, maybe. So a lot of shows at the time were not in the habit of doing an actual wrap-up episode. Um, so uh, of all the ifs, could have, would have, um, it was known that this was the last episode. And in fact, Ken, if I can sort of paint a picture for you of, of what this was like um, at the end of production of Star Trek. This episode was finished uh, a day late. It was over budget by at least $6,000. There was no rap party. There was no you know official rap party on set where everybody involved with the show could come in and have a drink and say their goodbyes. Although some of the cast and crew did get together on their own after the fact, uh, the sets, props, wardrobe, everything, they were either recycled or destroyed or stolen in the days and weeks after that. Uh, the bridge set was donated to UCLA, actually to the theater department, and it didn't last long. It was sort of used and abused and uh, trashed eventually. So it, it was not exactly the fond farewell to Star Trek that one might have hoped for. Um, one other thing to throw in there is that Ed, Ed Milkis uh, is a name that we haven't really discussed uh, at all, or uh, if we did, then not very much on our show. It's a name less known to Star Trek fans. He was originally hired to oversee post-production and did an excellent job with that. He was known for being very efficient, very professional. Um, by the time of the third season, with so many departures of the production staff, he actually became an associate producer, and he is technically the last person who worked on Star Trek, the original series. He oversaw the post-production of that, but he was the only person left in the production office. And it's kind of funny. He says that after the show got canceled and as things were getting wrapped up, he was the one that got all the emails, the phone, uh, not email, mail, snail mail, phone calls, all the uh, complaints, questions from fans. Basically, everything fell on his desk because everybody else was gone. Um, let's get back to Turnabout Intruder about this particular episode and the cast and characters. Um, by the way, the lead character, Janice, Janice Lester, you could also interpret that as Janus, the two-headed slash two-personality mythological uh, character from Greek mythology. Um, Sandra Smith, who plays that character, Dr. Janice Lester, had a short career in TV, best known for dramas and her regular gig on The Interns. Uh, Harry Landers, who played Dr. Coleman, worked very regularly in TV, but didn't do much really after Star Trek. He worked in early TV quite a bit, um, did a couple of episodes of Quincy in the 70s, but really not much else of note after this moment. Uh, David Ross is back as Lieutenant Galloway, uh, though. This is his ninth appearance in the original series, even though he was killed in the <laughs> Omega Glory. <laughs> and speaking of returns to Star Trek, uh, Barbara Baldavin is back. Fortunately, she is over from the loss of her husband from Balance of Terror. It seems almost unimaginable that this is the last episode of the original series, until you watch it. Then it seems, totally, unimaginable. Prologue. The Enterprise responds to a distress call on Camus 2, where a group of scientists are in distress. Hence the call. Two of the scientists are Dr. Coleman, the expedition surgeon, and Dr. Janice Lester, leader of the expedition and former love interest of Captain Kirk's. The rest are not in evidence when Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down. Dr. Lester is sick. Coleman says she's been exposed to some form of radiation, though no kind he's ever seen. Meanwhile, Spock picks up the rest of the scientists on his tricorder. Their life readings are faint. If they're going to help them, it'll have to be now. Kirk starts to go with them, but Janice Lester, unable to speak, tugs at his arm. They decide he should stay with her as the other three go to help the sickly scientists. Turns out Janice is not as sick as had been believed. As soon as the others are gone, she expresses her displeasure at seeing Kirk. She'd loved him. The year that they were together was the only year that she was alive. 
but Starfleet does not allow women to be starship captains, and that seems to have put too much of a strain on their relationship. Kirk wanders around the room, coming close to a big... wall. As he nears it, Lester sits up, points a remote control at the wall, and Kirk is drawn almost magnetically to it. With the captain incapacitated, Janice hops out of bed, stands next to Kirk against the wall, and uses the apparently alien technology to pull a Freaky Friday, switching her being into Kirk's body and Kirk's being into hers. Act 1. So Janice Lester is crazy. Only now she's in Kirk's body. She carts her old body back over to the bed, advising the unconscious Kirk that he should have killed her when he had the chance. So now she's going to kill him. In her body. Dr. Janice Lester apparently never saw The Incredibles, though. She spends too much time monologuing about killing Kirk and how much being a woman sucks. The others return before she can kill Kirk. Bad news from the returning men. The scientists are all dead. McCoy and Coleman disagree on what killed them, though McCoy's explanation is interrupted by Dr. Lester's deteriorated condition. Lester, as Kirk, says she was unconscious the whole time. After a quick check, Coleman says she's near death. Kirk suggests beaming her up to the Enterprise, and Lester, as Kirk, makes the call. In sickbay, Lester, as Kirk, stops in to see Coleman, and Kirk, as Lester. It turns out Coleman was in on the Freaky Friday plan. Thing is, they can't kill Kirk as Lester now. It would be too tough to explain. Great work killing all the other scientists, though. Best we can do now is hope that nobody believes Kirk as Lester when he or she comes to. Dr. McCoy and Nurse Chapel come in to check on Lester. McCoy and Coleman go at it again about what's wrong with her. Coleman says it would be foolish to remove her from his care now, and Lester, as Kirk, turns care of the patient over to Coleman exclusively over the objection of Dr. McCoy. Coleman has Chapel sedate the patient. Act 2. Internal monologue. I'm taking over Kirk's life. I've studied this, planned for it, just a little actual time at it, and I will be indistinguishable from the real Kirk. On the bridge, Lester, as Kirk, calls for a new course, so they can take their patient for treatment. But the new course will take them in the opposite direction of their next assignment. So way to not draw suspicion. Spock points out that the new course of action makes no sense. He then points it out vehemently. There's a better place for treatment on the way to where they were already headed. Flustered and perturbed, Lester, as Kirk, ends the conversation with a basic follow my orders, then leaves the bridge. In the captain's quarters, Lester, as Kirk, is getting an earful from McCoy, as McCoy. Coleman is medically and administratively incompetent. Starfleet says so. That's how he lost his post on his ship. Be that as it may, Kirk will remain in charge of the patient. Bones feels he has no choice but to demand that Kirk submit to an examination himself on the grounds that he's been acting kind of hinky since they returned from Camus 2. Lester, as Kirk, argues, says McCoy is just being petty. Be that as it may, Kirk is required to submit to the examination if the ship's medical officer calls for it. Just then, Kirk is called to the bridge, and Lester, as Kirk, heads that way. In sickbay, Kirk as Lester wakes up and gets his first look at what he's become. He, she, calls for McCoy, though Coleman comes instead. He tells her that she is Dr. Lester, though she argues that Dr. Lester somehow switched bodies with him. He demands to see McCoy and Spock. What he gets instead is a good look in the mirror at his female self. Behind him, Coleman is saying, You're insane, Dr. Lester. Act 3. Captain's Log. Um, I'm still in Dr. Lester's body. Not in command. Don't know what day it is. Still not sure how this whole Captain's Log thing works. When Nurse Chapel comes in, Kirk, as Lester, apologizes for earlier. I must have sounded crazy. Still, I would love to see Dr. McCoy. Chapel says that's a non-starter. Well, how about Mr. Spock? Chapel says she'll see what she can do. Now drink your sedative. Kirk, as Lester, says she will, though as soon as Chapel leaves, Kirk, as Lester, dumps the contents of the glass, breaks the glass, and begins cutting the straps, holding her in bed. In sickbay, McCoy and Spock are talking over how nutty Kirk seems since returning from Camus 2. Spock thinks a conversation with Lester might be in order. Speak of the devil, and the devil appears. Kind of. Lester, as Kirk, shows up for his examination, just as Kirk, as Lester, having freed the body from its bonds, rushes in. The body of Kirk incapacitates the body of Lester to the horror of McCoy. Lester, as Kirk, orders security to take Kirk, as Lester, back to her quarters. No one is to talk to her without his permission. 
Spock goes to Lester's quarters to talk to her. Security resists. The captain said no one was to talk to her. Spock says, yeah, but come on. I'm Spock, right? Security decides that's okay, as long as one of them is with him. In sickbay, McCoy says Kirk's body is in tip-top shape. Now let's take a look at your psyche. Tests of that turn out to be fine, too. Back down the hall, Kirk, as Lester, has finally told his or her story to Spock, though Spock is having a hard time believing. Complete mind-body transfer is completely unheard of. I guess he's never heard of Return to Tomorrow. Well, do you remember the Tholian web, Spock? Or the empath? All of these things are things we did together. Spock is mildly swayed, though those events have been entered into records and Lester could have learned of them that way. Well, then you'll just have to mind meld me. Spock does, and now he's a believer. But his belief is not proof enough for Starfleet. Well, maybe Dr. McCoy can help. One problem, though, security won't let Spock take Kirk as Lester to see McCoy. Spock knocks the security guard out, though not before he is able to alert the security guard outside who alerts Lester as Kirk. He or she calls for reinforcements and heads to Lester's quarters. Spock says they won't resist. Too little too late, Spock. Lester, as Kirk, makes a shipwide announcement. Spock has conspired with Lester to try to take over the Enterprise. A court-martial will be held. ASAP. The charge is mutiny. Act 4. Captain's Log. I'm really captain of the Enterprise, says Lester in some sort of official record. Everyone believes me. Good thing I'm recording that. Spock, meanwhile, is on the stand asserting his belief in the freaky Friday-ness of the Kirk-Lester situation. Scotty says they need more than that, and Spock says they could have it if they could question the person in the body of Dr. Lester. The person in the body of Kirk relents and sends for her. While they're waiting, the person in the body of Kirk questions McCoy. Am I fine? Yes, you are. Physically and mentally? Seems so. Spock's bummed that he doesn't have more evidence. Yet. The body of Lester enters the proceedings, and the body of Kirk questions her. You say we've switched bodies? Yes, I do. Did you both agree to do this? No. Dr. Lester perpetrated a violent attack and used alien technology to effect the change. Really? A woman was violent with a man? Pause for laughter. So why did she do this? Well, she wants to be captain of the Enterprise. She wants to kill me. And she's a shrew. Spock intervenes. Look, we've seen some weird stuff on this ship. Maybe we've never seen anything exactly like this, but we've seen some stuff. You are not Kirk. The body of Kirk accuses Spock of wanting to take over the Enterprise for himself. Tell you what, forget all this and we'll forget all this, Spock. But Spock says he'll not change a single charge. You are not Kirk. This enrages the body of Kirk, who calls for a vote on the charges against Spock of mutiny and excitement to mutiny right after this recess. During the break, McCoy and Scott have a discussion about relieving the body of Kirk of his command. If they vote against the body of Kirk and the body of Kirk goes nuts, they will have to mutiny. Just one problem. The body of Kirk was recording their conversation. He or she charges Scott and McCoy with mutiny. The penalty, death. Uh, no, argue Sulu and Chekhov. Only violation of General Order 4 gets you the death penalty, and this wasn't that. The body of Kirk compels them to get back to their posts. Back on the bridge, the two decide that whatever is in the body of Kirk is not Kirk, and they will not follow its orders. This sends the body of Kirk into a rage. Perfectly timed with Spock trying a Vulcan mind push, apparently. He's trying to push Kirk out of Lester's body and back into his own from the brig. Freaked out by nearly losing Kirk's body, Lester, as Kirk, goes to Coleman. You need to kill Lester's body. Otherwise, I lose Kirk's body, and we both go down for murder. Coleman relents, and they head to the brig. But Kirk, as Lester, fights Coleman when Lester, as Kirk, isn't looking. Maybe it's the excitement. Maybe it's something Spock did. Whatever the case, their bodies are switched back. Kirk is Kirk again. And Lester is a quivering mass. Coleman says she is as he has loved her. And he says he would like to take care of her. McCoy says, of course, the end. Wow, Ken, the end. Wow. The, the end of Star Trek, the original series. Right? Can I got chills. Should we work backwards? 
<laughs> Maybe. Let's just start all over again. No, I mean, let's start with, with, with one of the observations, I'll say. Okay. So at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. um, the woman who tried to take over the Enterprise and murder Kirk and apparently was at the very least complicit if not responsible for the death of all the scientists mm-hmm. is in the arms of the guy who was also either responsible if not complicit or you know vice versa in the death of all the scientists and who also helped her try right. to kill Kirk and take over the Enterprise. And he says, I would like to take care of her. Well, you yeah. know – there's been no problem with these two so far. Why not no, let none. him do that? None. And yeah. so and so McCoy says, of course, of course, I will do that <laughs> right until we get to Tantalus four. I mean, that's my guess. I don't know. Right until is it four? I know it was the, Tantalus. Is it Tantalus four? Is t- that? Tantalus. Oh, it's uh, just Tantalus? Hopefully there's more than one. Yeah. Oh, I, no, I thought the planet was called. OK, well, anyway, right until they get to Tantalus. You know, yeah. yes, we'll do that until and then a new yeah i would think yeah wow (laughs) (laughs) hey um so you you remember tantalus uh and and it was remembering things all over the place they're remembering tholians they're remembering the vians uh too bad they did not remember the psycho tricorder which uh would have helped a lot uh too bad they also did not remember the uh transference of energy um uh when they they met sargon you know, yeah. uh, all of that would have been very helpful. They could have put Janice Lester in a globe. And what was the one where we met? Uh, was it Metamorphosis? Was that the one where we met? Um, oh, heck, where we met. Uh, oh, come on. The guy, the warp drive guy. Is that from Cochrane? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah of course. Because yeah. that thing, uh, Ellie from Andy Griffith ended up taking <laughs> on, you know, that. Right. That's a little bit different because that was an alien, not just, you know, switching one human from another. Yeah. But then yeah. what about, as you, I think you alluded to, Return to Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't yeah. remember that episode. No, not at all. They don't, not they should all. get the Blu-ray. Because, you know, <laughs> they should. They it should. looks they good and they can just go back, back and check it. it. Exactly. Oh, Sick. yeah, I do remember that now. Remember, yeah. you had the thing with the hair and Uhura wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like today. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'm surprised that the whole mind meld testing of Lester slash Kirk didn't fix this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I understand that we have to get to the mutiny trial and we have to do all of that. Um, but but it just seems like, yeah, e- even though kudos to Spock for saying, well, we have to have evidence. We, we have to try this and we have to make sure it stands. He's already convinced because he's already done the mind meld. Right. So, and pretty much up until this point, the mind meld has really been enough for anybody to go on um, with any other situation. If you have a problem, like if you don't believe that a Horda is just a, a mother protecting her babies, then you get Spock to do a mind meld. And you're like, oh, yeah, obviously it is a mother protecting your babies because the mind meld said so. Right. Um, and we all go along with that. Well, it seems like this would have been. We, okay, we should all go along with this. Well, we all go along with that because then we're able to affect a result, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the mm-hmm. miners were going down there. They were getting too near the eggs. The hoarder was killing them because it was protecting the babies. The mm-hmm. miners don't get that because the eggs seem like giant rocks. They don't seem like eggs. Right. And so once Spock has that communication, then they're able to test his theory, right? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Because, I mean, Spock's going to be like, I oh, don't know, that's Captain Kirk. I know it looks like a woman. I know it looks like a woman, you know, <laughs> right. that you all know, and I know that looks like Captain Kirk, and, you know, they apparently can both operate the captain's log, so that's really not going to be any help. <laughs> yeah. What is up with that, by the way? I understand yeah. it's just an expository device, but, you know, try. Yeah. <laughs> just give me something, you know, like, yeah. shh, I'm sneaking into the captain's quarters to record the captain's log because I'm really the captain. Because it's really, it's always just an internal monologue, it turns out. And yes, it took me, what, 79, 80 episodes to finally decide that we can dispense with the captain's log actually being a thing. <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, you know, all it would take is Kirk, uh, I mean, uh, Spock and McCoy saying, uh, hey, Kirk, can you open the safe that's in your desk? Because there's something really, really important in there that we have to have. Now, come on, do it. You're the captain. You can open the safe. Go ahead and open it. <laughs> While you're recording your captain's log. You know. Yeah. Or, you know, knights to, what is it? Knight to queens, whatever. Maybe yeah, right. just every right, day, right, right. you know, what's the new code? I don't know the new code. Well, then you're not the captain. Or, hey, captain, where do you keep that makeup that you put on if your face gets scratched? Uh, could you get some of that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Any number of things, like, rem- remember that time. Because mm-hmm. he is describing whole episodes, but again... 
as right. as Spock points out, uh, those get entered into into some sort of record. That's another question. Can I just go check out the captain's log? Yeah, right. Because he says, right. "Well, that's that's public knowledge now. You you yeah, could have yeah, learned yeah, yeah, of yeah. that." And I'm thinking, really? I mean, can I do that? Could I just check out, you know, the captain's log of any ship? Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I just thought of another uh, good way to do this. Uh, they they could instead of just going through plot summaries, yeah. they should have gone through all the other women that Kirk has encountered, and I, I think that really would have enraged uh, Janice Lester to the point that uh, Kirk's consciousness would leave. Uh, said, oh, I remember Edith Keeler. Oh, she was she was your best girlfriend, Captain. She was awesome. She was she the was one. So- well, yeah, she was the one better yeah. than all the other girlfriends you ever had on uh, any planet. Although there was that Native American wife that you had. Oh, she was so great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had a kid with her. And yeah. You, too bad. Yeah. Too you bad haven't even talked about a while in a while is Carol Marcus. Man, you know, there's oh, all kinds of. Do you think actually? Wow. Would she have known Carol Marcus? Because they knew Ooh. each other. Yeah. That oh, year. Yeah. Oh, Uh-oh. yeah. Yeah. They also could have checked his signature. Yeah, right. Because yeah. <laughs> he's always signing, you know, yeah. that uh, that flippy Etch-a-Sketch kind of bad thing that they bring him. <laughs> right, right. I would imagine his signature probably looks a little bit different. Yes, it might have. Yeah. Hey, um, let's talk about Shatner, though, because okay. it, like every now and then, every now and then, we'll get email from listeners saying, oh, you, you know, you're too hard on, uh, you know, this thing or that thing, or particularly you're too hard on Shatner or whatever. Well, well no, I mean, I, I think that, we try to point out the good acting and the bad acting, no matter where it comes from, no matter who it is. And I think we really have to kind of give uh, a tip of the hat here to William Shatner playing uh, Kirk slash Lester yeah. in this. Um, because it, it, say what you will about the episode, it's very entertaining and there's a lot going on. I don't think I would have said it well. No, I'll say what I would say about the episode. Here's what I'll say about Shatner. No, no, no. I, I think his, his performance. Oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. not. That's not what you said. <laughs> no, no. no well, it, it, my. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. No, yeah. Shatner. Actually, I mean that. That's the thing. I don't. It feels to me like what we have said and what we've tried to stress is that Shatner is a good actor when Shatner is called upon to be a good actor. Yeah. And he is not called upon to be a good actor much in season three. He is called yeah. upon a lot to overact in season three. And and otherwise, I think they just put a script in front of him, and they're like, well, you know how to be Kirk. Be Kirk. Mm-hmm. And so it became sort of this caricature, right? Mm-hmm. When Shatner is called upon to act, he does well. Now, again, as you say, whether you want to uh, argue any merits to this script or story or any of that stuff, and we'll get to that in a bit, mm-hmm. he's he is this other character. I don't know that he's necessarily convincing as a woman, but he is convincing as someone else. Maybe he's convincing as it's like a Victor Victoria thing, as a woman trying to be a man. I don't know exactly. But he carries himself completely differently. His speech is different without being – it's camp, but it's yeah. not campy, if, well, that, the, the, if that makes any sense. The subtle moments are the best moments here. The very beginning, when after they had done the switch and he uses his communicator, Captain Kirk, to the Enterprise – Right. Now, I don't know who came up with that line, who wrote it, but every, you know, 78 episodes up until now, it's always been Kirk to Enterprise. Right. And a little moment like that is so good, whether it was accidental or on, you know, by design, by either the writer or by the actor or the director. It was great. Yeah. It, it's great. And all those little moments really sell what he's doing. See, even that, though, I mean, it's it, like that is written on the page. I would imagine I mean, maybe maybe Kirk winged it or maybe uh, Shatner winged it. But um, yeah. I would imagine that's written on the page, even just like watching him walk in yeah. this episode. He walks yeah. differently. And again, he doesn't exactly walk like a woman. He doesn't. Exa- I don't know what he walks like exactly, but he's obviously somebody else, even when he's not saying anything. Mm-hmm. And that's kind mm-hmm. of a, that's kind of a, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um Oh, you mentioned uh, General Order Four, yeah, uh, being the uh, the death penalty. Well, do we remember our old friend General Order Seven from visiting Talos? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's they, a, maybe that's they a death relaxed that. Offense. Well, they yeah. must have. I mean, you know, because now what's his name's there? Pike. Yeah, right. Pike's right. there, so they may actually they may have loosened the regulation on that a bit, you know, in the hopes that maybe one day they could go back and see Pike and say, "Sup." 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to know what I'd have to do to uh, violate General Order 4 then. What uh, is General Order 4? I looked it up, but I already can't remember. It's like it's like revealing to – it has to do with the Prime Directive. It's like, so if you find a planet, but they're not advanced enough, mm-hmm. if you tell them that there are worlds other than theirs with intelligent life, that's mm-hmm. a death penalty. Oh, yeah. that that Wow, that makes sense. That's crazy. <laughs> that is just crazy. I mean, occasionally, little, little, little hints of – it's a fine line between utopia and death cult. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> And, and I think the, uh, the Federation um, dances that line quite a bit. Mission log, computer log. I've secretly replaced the consciousness of my male counterpart from the mirror universe with my own. Let's see if anyone notices. In the previous segment, I mentioned how um, they seem to have forgotten our old friend Sargon in Return to Tomorrow. And uh, they said that life energy transference is impossible, except for the times that we've seen it happen. Um, So in Gene Roddenberry's defense, he he has mentioned before in interviews that um, one of the things that he wanted to do in Star Trek was explore uh, stories that, that sort of pick apart what makes us us and if if there is a division between body and mind and where is that and how does that work um i would contend that there isn't one um so that as lovely as a special effect is uh of having dr lester and captain kirk in front of a a rock wall with lights in it and then seeing an image of their bodies <laughs> switching places. I'm being facetious. I think it was a terrible special effect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really? Cause uh, I hadn't picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, to represent that their, their consciousness is moving. Well, I, I would say that I have a problem with that. And the problem with that is the brain, uh, which you may remember from the phrase brain and brain. What is brain? Well, <laughs> brain is the thing that, makes the mind the the function of the brain is the mind uh so what you would have to do in a machine like that is actually swap brains from one place to another to move all of the uh neurotransmitters every synapse everything would have to be moved in place Mm -hmm. to the other body um so that is where i part ways with uh, one of the many places that i part ways with the idea here well, with that idea, I think with the idea of switching consciousness from a human body to another human body, that does strike me as a bit difficult. There would mm-hmm. be um, there would be wetware issues, I would mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could transfer big parts of somebody's consciousness and understand this is with technology that's you know far beyond ours. You would need alien technology mm-hmm. for for hundreds of years on this planet, you know, doing the kind of stuff that we're doing or trying to do currently. Yeah. Um. I have no problem, though, with the idea of transferring your consciousness, say, to an inorganic matrix. <laughs> oh, well, I know that you have no problem yeah, with that, Ken. I have but, no problem with that. Uh, but I think, and this may be going down a totally different path here, but you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if we are talking about this idea of replicating the human brain mm-hmm. into a machine mm-hmm. or you know uh, replicating in a form of machine intelligence what we're talking about is actually replicating the structure that is then able to do that um so if you go with the idea that a brain is a mass with its hundreds of millions of uh neuroelectrical connections and it is the firing of all of those or you know a, a selection of those hundreds of millions of neuroelectrical uh, places, that is what has to get recreated on a machine. You actually have to recreate that pathway. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is all theoretical, so who can say, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my contention is always, well, not always, but you know, for the past seven or eight years, I've been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, ben, the, I mean, it's sort of the whole binary thing, right? We're, we're zeros and ones. I don't know if we actually are, but there are switches being thrown in a brain. And the idea uh, put it forth by some, including uh, Kurzweil, 
uh, Ray Kurzweil, for people who don't know, look him up, kind of a weirdo, mm-hmm. kind of awesome, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. seems to be that we will be able to take a detailed enough picture of the brain at some point that we could then recreate it in some other way. So right. uh, the, the idea being, I suppose, that you know all of the switches in, in, in just the right – if you could replicate them exactly or if you could replicate their um, their states – Exactly. Then you would basically have a copy of that person. Now, what happens with that person from then on is, you know, anybody's guess. It's not like if you make a clone, suddenly there are, you know, I don't buy the idea that you have a backup. I mean, at that point, there are two of you. Right. It's, it's, well, I can't use that because it's out of the timeline. And I, of course, didn't even know that there was more Star Trek coming. It's the Thomas Riker effect. I mean, it's, I mean, that's, that's what it is. And if you don't know what that is, oh, golly, you were in oh, for such a good episode wait. in a few just years. Just wait. Oh, that's, I love, uh-huh. oh, Thomas. Okay. Anyway. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have a problem, yes, switching from one person to another. Uh, but, you know, the idea that, that I am only tied to this body and I could never be anything else, um, you know, I, I sort of rankle against that idea. But well, it's no, mostly I mean, because I'm like Woody Allen and that I don't want to, you know, cheat death by being remembered. I want to cheat death by not dying. <laughs> right, so, right. you know, yeah, put well, me no, in a but, toaster but, and I'll be okay as long as it's got a big enough CPU. I, I think you and I are kind of along the same line. Same, and I'm coming from a materialist point of view that says that the, the material of the brain is what creates the mind. Now, whether or not you, you use a material that is gray matter, flesh in you know, the fatty substance uh, in between your ears, or that material is electronic, mm-hmm. um, the, the process of that thing is to create the mind. Uh, it, the function of it is the mind, consciousness, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm saying is, just, and, and really weird, I, I think, Ken, what you and I are doing right now is that you and I are talking about something that you and I really enjoy, and we're yes. in avoidance. <laughs> we're in avoidance yeah. of what is to come. Probably um, so. Yeah. So I, I don't think that you and I are totally off, but I, it, that is one of those things that I, I watch that is it's kind of an old science fiction trope. Like, all we need to do is switch their minds and then they become the it, – it's sort of like to me the end of young Frankenstein. Yeah. All you need to do is hook up their brains and watch the chemicals go through back and forth and then they're fine. And then they yeah. you know, they kind of have the same memories and now they share traits. You know, Yeah, yeah young Frankenstein, which was a comedy. Or yes. Freaky Friday, which ostensibly was a comedy, right? Um, you know, or or voodoo. I mean, you need either magic mm-hmm. or just you know we're gonna yeah. we're gonna completely suspend disbelief because otherwise we wouldn't have a screwball comedy. <laughs> the scientific <laughs> idea that yes, without changing your brain, I'm able to change your consciousness like completely to a different person is 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 crazy. <laughs> but living in a robot makes perfect sense. Let's move on. Total sense. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So you want to talk uh, about you want to talk about our friend Coleman? I'm sure. Okay. Wow. I'm not sure he was thinking clearly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So so Coleman is in love with Doctor Lester. Right. Uh, the, the woman, Doctor Lester. Right. But he loves her so much that he's willing to uh, help her. Well, he's willing to kill for her, or at least allow her to kill. And he's sort of gray on that whole thing. <laughs> right. Um, and help her take over the body of Captain Kirk. And apparently he's going to stick around with Kirk, mm-hmm. um, who is now Dr. Lester, with whom he is in love. Ken, you can't judge. Well, you, well, you no, can't I'm, judge. What, I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out what the plan was there. Because, yeah, I mean, so yeah. is, is Coleman a homosexual? Mm, right. Uh, we, who knows? I, yeah. I'm i not under the impression that he is, mm. but maybe – or does Dr. Lester even understand that Coleman is in love with her? Uh, well, I think that may be more the case. And would she care? I, I think she probably would not. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it would be very interesting if uh, if they were in love yeah. and if uh, she stayed in Kirk's body <laughs> – and then, just like we talked about the awkwardness of introducing uh, Kirk's robot girlfriend, right? Now we have to change. It's like, oh no! Well, Kirk, he he no longer really dates women on different planets because now he's got Doctor Coleman, right? Right, Doctor Coleman. Oh, and she is a well, guy. Well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, guy. he's this guy yeah. that we found on another planet. And yeah. here's the thing: I have no problem believing that the you know the Federation and Starfleet would be advanced enough 300 years from now or 200 years from now, however many years it is from now, 
uh, to be open to homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, except they're apparently not open to women in command. Now, oh, we, now we've okay. seen we've seen Uhura take over command of the Enterprise, but she's like what fourth in line. I right. think it goes right. it goes uh, Kirk, Spock, uh, Scotty, yeah, and then Uhura. But then That's, Sulu is in there somewhere. Yeah, he's still got to drive. Okay, so, well, it, no, no, but I mean, like he's that. actually sat in the chair before, hasn't he? Uh, no, I thought he had. No, uh, well, yeah, I might be messing that up. I, I apologize. Know. No letters, please. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I, I I thought he had, but either way, she's she's near command. I mean, you know, yeah. you got to go through a few a fair few people to get there. But we've seen her, you know, command the Enterprise before. But that's just like a thing in an emergency. Yeah, the, women cannot be starship captains. Well, okay, all right. So let let's talk about a little revisionist history here. Wait, 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 wait. Are we uh-huh. done with Are we done with the question of Coleman? Because that just struck that just struck me as weird. And then, <laughs> of course, and then the, and I, and again, I got no problem with whatever relationship they're going to have. I'm just not sure, sure that Coleman is actually. Yeah, let me put it this way: We've spent this whole episode, you know, wondering how crazy Doctor Lester is. Mm-hmm. I don't think Coleman is really thinking everything through. No, no, he is definitely not. Okay. No. All right. Well, cool yeah. then. Right. Um, All right. Your world of starship captains doesn't admit women. Right. Um, Oh, not my world. My world's fine with it. Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah. Can I just say, by the way, uh, you know, as as much as we feel whatever we feel about this episode, it's almost as if the the gods of of whatever governs this show said, (laughs) what should we give them for the last episode? (laughs) Right. 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 so I, I, at least I think Kirk acknowledges the problem in that. If, if only it's a glance, if only it's a look, she says that, and and he's kind of like, yeah, that does suck, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's too Sweetie. bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, now there is a bit of revisionism that says that she is talking about Kirk and not about Starfleet in particular. What? Okay. Yes. Her her saying your world of starship captains, meaning Kirk, you you personally, James Kirk, your world doesn't admit women. A- as we have seen, Kirk's first true love is the Enterprise, and he will gladly leave behind poor Shanna with the gamesters of Triskelion mm-hmm. because, well, sorry, baby, I got to go. Hmm. I've got a ship. Yeah, I Wow. So you're looking to let the Federation off the hook then? Or Starfleet, uh, rather? No, I, I'm just saying that this is a theory that has floated out there. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes no sense to me at all, because that was not the impression that I got. It was not the impression that I got either. Oh, okay. And I went back and watched it a few times, and I, and I tried to let that sink in and think, okay, well, am I going to let him off the hook here? Because, okay, we've had, if you go back to the cage, mm-hmm. which we then got to revisit in the menagerie, so it was seen by an audience in 1960. 667 mm-hmm. we at least had a woman who was second in command yeah you know and and is that dividing line so strong that says that a woman who is second in command could not be the commander of the ship i mean ken gosh i really hope i really would love it if star trek one day would have a female captain <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get around to that yeah let's Put her someplace, though, where nobody will ever be able to find her. (laughs) Like, you know, a whole other quadrant of the galaxy, maybe. Yeah. And that's, of course, not my thinking. That's apparently the thinking of uh, other people. Um, I don't think you can let this episode off the hook uh, for a moment. No. No. I mean, it is just sexism to a crazy degree, almost to the point of misogyny. Yeah. I mean... uh, Kirk says at one point her intense hatred of her own womanhood made life with her impossible. Yeah. And here's the thing. That seems to be the case. Dr. Lester hates being a woman. And yeah. and what's weird is uh, most any woman that I know who feels sort of any inequality would not hate the fact that she's a woman. She would hate the, you know, hate in, the inequality. inequality in this totally yeah. egalitarian society. Right. 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 Or theoretically egalitarian society, you know, provided, you know, you you either dress to the right or the left. Yeah. She hates herself 
for well, what she it, is. The, the, the line that is the most troublesome to me in the whole thing is that she would rather be dead than live alone in the body of a woman. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, so, yeah, loneliness. Wait, there's, there's a runner-up line, though. Oh, okay. um, now you'll know the indignity of being a woman. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I'm actually, I might, they might both stand on the podium. Yeah. 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 I, I think those are harder to deal with than... The, the, you know, once we get past the the inequality of your world of starship captains doesn't admit women, once we even try to get past that, the, then we're just hit, you know, right between the eyes with those two lines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think those are really troublesome. Um, there is another sort of uh, a revisionist take on the Gene Roddenberry influence on the script here uh, that, that is the... The only way to defend it, the story, or defend him in this case is to say that he's thumbing his nose at the network edict, uh, that he lessen the number of women on board, that he take out women of power uh, positions on the Enterprise, like number one from The Cage, obviously, which was his writing, his decision, his casting, etc. I think that's really hard to buy, though. Um, I I really just don't. I, I think this is a case of a story that got out of hand. So even if all Gene did was write down, hmm, uh, Kirk's mind and the mind of a woman get switched, uh, go from there. <laughs> and and it got out of hand to the extent that... I'm remember, sorry, is that, wait, is that really enough for a story credit? Uh, yeah, it can be. If you register it with the uh, WGA, that's enough. Dude, I'm moving um, to Hollywood. I feel like... We're at a point here at the end of season three, at the end of Star Trek, where there are not enough people left to say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we no longer have Bob Justman, Herb Solo, uh, certainly Gene Kuhn is long gone, DC Fontana, uh, David Gerald, the people who kind of got to put their hands on a script. They're all gone and nobody is left to say no. And we have seen what happens to a great franchise when there's no one left to say no. Uh, just call George Lucas, <laughs> you know, um, and because here's the thing. Star Trek has had better, more complex, more believable female villains before you, we go back to a, a character that you and I both said was one of our favorite of the entire series, Dila from Wink of an Eye, mm-hmm. because that character sort of had it all. Yes, you could play with that flirtatious side of the character, but you could also have something that was kind of evil and misguided and dangerous, and it all really work. Um, so it's not like Star Trek is incapable of having good female characters, but boy, did they drop the ball on this. And boy, did they drive home this message. Um, even, Ken, even the word hysteria to me is problematic. You remember that line with Scotty talking to McCoy? Mm-hmm. Saying, I've seen the captain this way, I've seen the captain this way, I've seen him be horrible, I've seen him be... But I've never seen hysteria. That actually didn't bother me. Really? Because hysteria specifically, (laughs) specifically, if you go to the root of that word, is about a woman being crazy. Really? Yes. You asked Def Leppard about that, mister. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I forgot to call them in prep for this episode. I don't. Yeah. OK, that may be the case. Honestly, that word does not have any sort of different connotation for me other than somebody who's being hysterical, whether it's male or female. Mm-hmm. I think the point in that conversation and maybe I'm wrong and, and that's fine. I mean, I, I think this is a sexist episode. So if you want to pile one more on there, knock yourself out. <laughs> uh, to me, all that was was Scotty saying, yeah, that's not the captain. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if it could have been, you know, maybe Kirk could have fallen asleep in the middle of the trial and then Scotty could have come out and said, you know, I've seen him. I've seen him pissed. I've seen him happy. I've mm-hmm. seen him drunk, but I've never seen him fall asleep in a meeting. I mean, <laughs> it just felt <laughs> right, to me like right. it was a different thing. And that's what Scotty was noticing. Um, yeah. And then add, add to, you know, add to it the fact that there seemed to be a bit of mental imbalance with the with the level of uh, well, hysteria, I guess, with the level of, of change that he had seen that made him worry. But I didn't see that as particularly a feminine trait as opposed to a masculine trait. I just saw it as a, as sort of a, a red light for Scotty. I'm, I, I agree that I'm piling on, okay. you, you know, I, it, because we've already found all the things here that are 
sexist about the episode. The, <laughs> it, 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 even if we separate the idea that this is a singular character, Dr. Janice Lester is a singular character who is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, I think we're all on the same page with that. Um, the problem is that the episode piles on and it doesn't do a better job of making it less sexist. You know, it's, um, you know, you know what is really crazy? Mm-hmm. I feel like this episode, had it been like a half hour longer, mm-hmm. might have actually been might have been something that could have done something. Hmm. Really? You, well, you have a you have like a moment of Kirk looking in the mirror and and seeing you know that he is in this woman's body. Yeah. At that same time, you have Doctor Coleman saying, "You're crazy, Doctor Lester." And, <laughs> and, if, right. and if you have a little bit more time. I mean, you, you said that uh, Gene Roddenberry was interested in this in exploring the idea of, you know, what is us, what is mm-hmm. self, what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's neat that he was interested in that, but nobody's interested in that in this episode. And there's not enough time. I mean, they really jam a lot into this episode, despite the fact that there's honestly very little action. They right. jam a lot into this episode, but there's not really enough time to explore any of it. Like, like, does Dr. Lester hate the fact that she's a woman, or does she hate the fact that she's a woman in this society, or does she hate this society? We right. don't really get that delineation, because we got 48 minutes, and we got a lot to get to here, so she hates that she's a woman, and yeah. because of what happens in society. But she's not angry at society, she's angry at the fact that she doesn't um, dress to the left. Yeah. yeah, We don't get the examination of what is it that makes you, you. We get a tiny bit of that, maybe, with Spock. When he's, you know, sort of looking into uh, Kirk's mind. But even the mind meld was shorter than it normally is because, come on, mm-hmm. we got a lot to mm-hmm. get to here. And the question of loyalty versus, you know, um, uh, mutiny. And, and are they being loyal in, in, in creating mutiny? And, I mean, there's a ton of stuff here that I feel like it's not movie worthy, but maybe it's movie of the week worthy. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, right, if we could have right. done like an hour and a half to two hour episode. There's, there's, this might have been something to play with. Uh, instead, you just kind of want to forget that this is the last episode of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the whole cultural problem that that comes from this. And and we've tried to say on Mission Log before that, you know, the thing that we're doing on this show is examining. Uh, morals, messages, and meanings, but we're trying to to do that from a couple of different angles. We're trying to figure out well, what was the writer trying to say, and we're trying to put that into a, sort of a, a cultural context of this was a TV show that aired in the 60s. Here are the people who worked on it. Here's what they were perhaps trying to say. But then we also have to look at it from our 21st century point of view and to say, even if there were unintended messages coming through, then what were they? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are our personal uh, uh, interpretations of that. There are many people who have written to us and said, well, I found this other message. Well, great. You should. <laughs> you should find other messages. And, and if those resonate with you, then, then that's great. Um, when I look at an episode like this where – and we've had episodes like this in the past where, where you have a premise and you think, man, if only Star Trek could do a better job at addressing the problem. It, it, like, let that be your last battlefield was kind of an easy one mm-hmm. in that respect because we're faced with the problem. We analyze and dissect the problem. We show how ridiculous the point of view is and we're done. You know, But it, it, in this we have this point of view, I feel like, that is foisted upon us that says, okay, we have a woman who wants a man's job, but <laughs> she can't do it, and she's self-loathing, and she's crazy, so she has to die. Well, it, you know, it, it just feels like that to me. Um, and, she she uh, didn't die, but she no, has, I, I know she she has to be die. rendered. She, you know. she has to go away. Right, right, right. She has to go away. You know, um, it, it, here's the other thing. We, we've... We've beaten this dead horse uh, because I think this is a way that a lot of people feel about this episode. But there is something else that I found very interesting here. It's that even if we remove the the sexist version of this story, to me, it kind of puts a fine point on these problems of the future or at least of Star Trek's future that we've talked about before. So we've met the space hippies who felt like they didn't fit in. We know that Spock doesn't fit in. He's got his own personal emotional problems. Um, This might actually be a more widespread problem than we've known about 
before. You know, there are some people in Star Trek's future who are very good with the direction of their lives. And those people wear uniforms and they work for a quasi-military organization with mm-hmm. a great mission statement. And they have job security. They, they want for nothing. And then there are the others who are still mentally disturbed who still have not found their place, who uh, reject the idea of the sterilized, sanitized, uh, technological future that we're presented with. Um, you know, Ken, you're, you're really the one who started pointing that out, I feel like, in Mission Log and in, in Star Trek. And, uh, and I just feel like here's another tragic case of that happening, and we don't really have a good way of dealing with it. You know, if... Um, if that delivery of medicine to uh, Elba 2, which can eradicate all, <laughs> what was it? It can eradicate all mental uh, disease, all mental. Uh, I thought it was all mental illness, but all yeah. mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if that really works, if that's a real thing, and then all we need to do is just give an injection of that to uh, Dr. Lester and she'll be fine and she'll be happy with who she is and she will be uh, a functioning member of society, then great. But then did we also just strip her of who she is? Sure. You know? Well, she'll be yeah. a functioning member of a sexist society, apparently. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it depends on if you're going to do the whole thing of, well, it was Kirk's world, not, not Starfleet. But... Uh, She'll be a functioning member of a society that doesn't like her or that doesn't value her as much as a man or that doesn't let her do everything that she wants to do. Yeah. So that's – And and if that's the case, then you know, when and where do we get people who are angry enough or dissatisfied enough with the status quo that they will try to change it, you know, that that – you have to have that first woman come along and say, no, women should be and can be captains of starships. So I'm going to fight to change this. Uh, but if Janice Lester is rendered kind of uh, unfit to do anything, then she is clearly not that person. She is not the person who's going to make that argument and change things so that we have a less sexist future to deal with. For the last time for the original series, time now to figure out any messages, morals, and meanings in this episode, and whether the episode holds up. I'll give you three guesses on the last one. Hard to believe that we're doing this for the last time with the original series. Not for the last time with these characters, but for the last time with these characters in just this way. But uh, time to do that thing that we do where we uh, try to sum up the messages, morals, and meanings of an episode and decide whether the episode stands the test of time. Turnabout intruder, John. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Was, um, was, there a, was, was there a message, a moral, a meaning? Was there anything like that here? Or would you rather do the whole does it hold up thing first? Well, I, I think I can get through does it hold up pretty quickly. Um, no. no. Okay. No, no, it does not. <laughs> um, it, here's it. There are things to enjoy in this episode. Yes. Um, we we talked about uh, Shatner's acting. Uh, it, it's actually paced pretty well. Um, hmm. You think so? Uh, I think for the most. I, I think once we get past uh, the opening and the actual transference, uh, I kind of enjoyed the whole uh, trial, the mutiny trial, and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, for me, I, I thought it was okay. Okay. Because um, I will say honestly, I, I thought maybe they were trying to make you feel like Star Trek wasn't ending by hmm. by making forty eight minutes feel like you know, <laughs> like nine hours considerably more. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I just, but maybe I was just dreading. Maybe Maybe. Was, it's it's possible, honestly, that in rewatching this, I was just dreading doing this episode for a couple of reasons. One, it's not a great episode. But two, uh, I mean, this this really is the last time we're going to see these characters in this way. Yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, that's that's weird. It is. It, it's so strange. I, I feel, you, you know, if you were born at a certain time, then when you got introduced to Star Trek, that's all you knew. All you knew was Kirk Spock McCoy on this. You know, on a set that looks like this set and on an enterprise that looks like this enterprise. And we kind of got to relive that 
yeah. for a little bit. So, yeah, they, it, it is sad to kind of say goodbye to it. And it's sad to say goodbye to it with this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I, Doctor, yes, it is. I, I, I don't think it's the worst of Star Trek, the original series. I really don't. Um, it has the worst special effects in the history of the show. I think that the whole body, mind-body transference thing is just terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that as a story, it's so tragic to me that it didn't get worked over by somebody else. Please, please, please take the general premise and then hand it to DC Fontana and say, please rewrite this show, you know? Um so it's a shame that those are the things that got lost. Um, it, it patently does not hold up, even if it's not the worst. It belongs in that list of the the worst of Star Trek, the the bottom of the barrel of Star Trek. Um, it just doesn't scrape the bottom like some other episodes do. Yeah, little did I know when we watched Mary, mm-hmm. how 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 much worse things could be. <laughs> because at least Miri again and we talked about this uh, several times as we've hit worse episodes at least gave us you know some fun things to play with I mean we mm-hmm. we talked about the whole you know transferring of consciousness from you know, one body to another or from one body to a machine or something like that as you say because it's kind of like a you know a, a fun topic for the two of us mm-hmm. it's not even it's barely addressed here yeah. I mean it's only addressed here because everybody's like that's crazy you can't do that Right. Even though it's it's been done on Star Trek <laughs> by yeah. some of these characters that are saying this is crazy. Right. Um so yeah, it's uh this episode just it it hurts on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really it just does. Yeah. I I think if there's anything to be gleaned out of this, um the the, the sort of terrible inherent message here in the episode is all the sexist stuff that we've talked about you know there, there, there's this self-loathing and the inability to uh to compete and really be happy with your life and all this stuff but if i tried to pull out something positive out of this is there a message that says hey learn to be yourself to embrace who you are don't try to be someone else um unless you are captain kirk uh, be be Captain Kirk. You mm-hmm. know, if you're William Shatner, you can be Captain Kirk. Be Captain Kirk. Um, and uh, and hey, also don't try to kill that other person that you would like to be. Um, yeah, you I, know, you can do I'm like, really digging here. There's no shortcut to power. I mean, there's no shortcut mm-hmm. to what you want. You actually have to work through it. The only problem is even that doesn't work in this episode because according to Doctor Lester, she would never be able to be what she wants. You don't. I mean, you can't. A military organization is not necessarily going to let you break the glass ceiling, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so she can't just be the you know, darndest, bestest, whatever, and become a captain of a starship. Now, the other thing is there's no indication at all that she is qualified to be captain of a starship, and it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not she's a woman. Right. She's alone. Right. Yeah. Now, was she driven crazy by the fact that she lives in a sexist society? Maybe. Was she driven crazy by the fact that Captain Kirk sort of used her and discarded her? Maybe. Or maybe she's just crazy. I mean, yeah. she is able to accomplish quite a bit. She became a lead scientist on, you know, this expedition. You know, I, I'm not sure what they were doing exactly, except for killing all the people on the expedition. <laughs> but way to go. She yeah. led that, and that's yeah. kind of cool. But there, there's no indication that she is qualified to be the captain of a starship. It's... it's it's, well, well, that's that, that's the thing. When you come back to it, and you you treat Janice Lester as an individual, mm-hmm. and and not as representative of a sex, mm-hmm. it, it's the episode that that hurts in that respect because you keep coming back to these tropes about women and and just painting these generalizations. But if you can get away from that and just treat her as an individual with these problems, mm-hmm. then yeah, I, it it, it kind of works in that <laughs> way, you know. She's a she's a horribly flawed character, and the least of the flaws is that she's a woman. Right, that's right. not a flaw. Um, Except she sees it as a flaw because maybe because the society sees it as a flaw, and I guess we have to assume that what she's saying is true because Kirk doesn't argue with her. Yeah, Kirk doesn't say you know. I mean, he basically agrees with her that it sucks that she can't be a starship captain. I, I kind of asked myself for a moment if this episode, in some weird subversive way actually undermines and and critiques kirk's past libido 
you know, that this is the one time where it catches up with him. Um, we've seen him leave behind girlfriends before and, and who knows how badly that went for those women after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought maybe just maybe there's that subversive little dig that says, Hey, uh, Jim, you can't keep doing this <laughs> because you are hurting people in your wake. Um, but we didn't really get to explore that either. Well, and I don't think that's this gets too confusing with the timeline. Then I mean, remember the first couple of seasons, he was not love him and leave him, Kirk. Right, right. It was only sort. Of, it was only season three when I think you know there weren't as many people guiding the scripts as you pointed out, and the writing got kind of sloppy. I mean, there were some great episodes, but I mean, you know, it starts with a weekly premise of somebody's going to fall in love, and yeah. it's probably going to be Kirk. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I don't. I mean, you could say that. But that that again is is applying sort of a revisionist. Um, it just you know you want it to work because it's the last one and it doesn't. And, <laughs> and and maybe we just have to say okay, sadly this doesn't work. You know what? You got seventy eight, seventy nine other episodes if you count the cage. Um, there are lots better. Uh, start with those and don't end with this one because you know you kind of left going. Oh, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> If only they had reversed the two. If only this had been the next to the last, and then uh, all our yesterdays had been aired at the end. Not the greatest Star Trek episode, but there was a lot of meat there, um, and we we had a a much more positive (laughs) discussion about that one. Um, That's all it would have taken, just to to flip-flop those two. Um, But Ken, uh, I'm glad to say, even though we've come to the end, of Star Trek, the original series, there's more Star Trek to come. So there will be a mission log next week. There will be more mission log coming. We're doing uh, a wrap-up episode of the original series, and then we're going into the animated series, and there's so much more beyond that. So uh, please, people, keep listening and uh, keep commenting and sending us your thoughts. Uh, How can people do that, Ken? Well, there are a number of ways that people can do that, John. They can contact us on uh, Facebook, Skype, or Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod in all those places. Uh, they can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. That email again, missionlog at roddenberry.com. I don't think there's a place to contact us there, but don't forget you can also check out our fantastic webpage uh, missionlogpodcast.com do that while you're doing all those other ways of contacting us and remember if you do contact us we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log Some of the music for the Mission Log provided by Warp 11 online at warp11.com and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Coming soon, a series recap, interviews, a cartoon, then, we'll see you at the movies. Keep the channel open, plenty more ahead. And transmission. <laughs>